Welcome to the 317 Experience, the official podcast of The Exchange. Our goal is to introduce you to a new member every week by sharing their passion and experiences in three key points, one voice, and in seven minutes or less. This is the 317 Experience. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the 317 Experience. Today we have a special guest with us, a true community partner throughout the city of Indianapolis and a partner to the exchange, Larry Smith. Thanks for hosting today, Larry. Thank you for having me. So let's jump right in with an icebreaker before we get into the meat of our discussion. I am going to ask you rapid style questions and you answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Do you work out in the morning or at night? I typically prefer to do it in the morning. Uh, morning person. What is the last book you read? Uh, the last book I read was We Were Eight Years in Power by Ta-Nehisi Coates. It's an overview. Of, it's kind of a parallel between the eight years of Reconstruction and the eight years of the Obama administration, a collection of essays uh, that, he, that he wrote uh, during the uh, Obama administration. Excellent. How do you drink your coffee? Uh, I, I would say in desperation. Uh, I am not a coffee drinker uh, by nature. If I have to stay awake, I'll drink a mocha a frappuccino uh, from Starbucks with, because it tastes like chocolate milk. Uh, I'm not really a coffee guy. I love hot chocolate, though. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, Chick-fil-A or Popeyes? Oh, my God. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Popeyes. Oh, Lord. Okay, the ice is broken. Let's get serious. <laughs> I'm a little nervous that we'll break our seven-minute motto, but that's okay because we missed last week, and I know Larry has some great gems for us. So you're an entrepreneur, a community leader, a seasoned executive in private, nonprofit, or nonprofit, and academic sectors. I want to focus on your entrepreneurial hat since several young professionals have aspirations outside of their current day job. Can mm -hmm. you share a pivotal moment or some specific tools that help you make the decision that you are ready to own your own business? Yeah, so that's a great question. So uh, I was actually working within an organization uh, and started uh, my consulting practice and frankly had not intended for uh, it to be full time. Uh, but when I decided to leave the organization at which I was working at the, at the time, I thought, well, I might as well go ahead and, and give it uh, a shot. I had, as you suggest, uh, a varied career. I began in, in the corporate sector working for a, a multinational Fortune 150 uh, company, uh, transitioned to the nonprofit sector after accept, uh, accepting the call to the ministry, and then worked uh, in academia. So I felt very prepared and well-rounded uh, enough uh, that I could go ahead and, and give it uh, a shot. Frankly, I've been given, you know, those are uh, the millennials who are old enough to remember Cheers. I know I'm dating myself a little bit, but uh, Frazier uh, gave away a lot of free psychological <laughs> advice uh, and never seemed to get paid. And I thought, well, people are asking me all these questions about how do I start a nonprofit? How do I raise money? How do I, how do I develop my board? And rather than continuing to, uh, to do all that for free, I decided to start my own business. That's brilliant. So do you have to have a breadth of experience before you take that leap or like, can you just get your education or like, what can we do to get started? No, no, you, you, you don't. And certainly education uh, is, is important, but I think really the key to entrepreneurship is risk 
tolerance. Uh, do you have the tolerance to say, hey, I am going to rely on my knowledge, skills, and ability, and, and because I am a minister, I'm going to say, you know, the, the grace of God. But do I have that high enough risk tolerance to walk away from a quote unquote steady uh, paycheck? People will say, well, you know, I work for, I have this uh, occupation or I have this job and it's only a temporary job. My answer to that is that all jobs are temporary, even if you don't realize that they are. Uh, because, you know, Indiana is, of course, an at will state, which means the employer can terminate you at any time for any cause or for no cause at all. And so if you have the, if your personality type, uh, allows you to have a high risk tolerance, then I think that you can be an entrepreneur. But then after you make that decision, certainly you should educate yourself in whatever area that you're trying to pursue. Excellent. I never heard that. Do you have high risk tolerance? I wrote that down. Mm-hmm. So for those who don't know, the exchange also has a year-long professional development initiative called the Exchange Fellows Program. And Larry's been one of our speakers for many, many years. And I enjoyed hearing him when he was a speaker when I was part of the Fellows Program two years ago. Could you share what some of our um, new fellows could expect in this new class of fellows? Well, I think what uh, they can expect is you always have, meaning you, meaning the exchange, always has uh, speakers who are very knowledgeable uh, and very willing to come and talk to the exchange. I think the speakers always understand that this is sort of the next generation of, uh, of leaders in Indianapolis. I don't say that to be cliche. I don't say that to be patronizing, but anyone who knows about the exchange program understands that that is absolutely the case, whether it's you or Adrian Slash or Marshawn Wally, all the other people uh, who have come through the program. Uh, there is an expectation that I am going to be speaking to people who are going to assume, or in some cases are already in leadership roles. And so I think from an experiential standpoint, the fellows can always uh, expect someone who is uh, is very, very knowledgeable, but also uh, very uh, willing to interact with the fellows because they understand the, uh, the quality of the people who you bring on. Oh, that was very nice of you. So you think I'm one of the next gen leaders? <laughs> uh, no, no, you are a current leader, not a next gen. You're a leader right now. <laughs> I'll take it. So last but not least, I want to also connect the dot with our affiliate, the Indianapolis Urban League. A few mm-hmm. pillars that we focus on is racial justice, mm-hmm. economic empowerment, and education. Lately, there's been some buzz around the Black agenda in Indy or lack thereof. Can you share how young professionals in the movement can work with the Urban League or the city to help address the issues impacting our community? Yeah, certainly. I had, uh, I've had i had the privilege and the honor of, of knowing all three presidents of the Indianapolis Urban League, Sam Jones, Joe Slash, and now, of course, Tony Mason. And uh, if you look at uh, what we now frequently refer to as the Black Agenda, there are very few um, organizations that are serious about um, thinking through what that agenda should be, what its implications are. Uh, there are a lot of African-Americans today, frankly, who are very reticent even to talk about a black agenda. Uh, certainly there's nothing wrong with uh, an economic agenda or a cultural agenda, irrespective of race and, and so on, or an American a- a agenda. But I do believe very, very strongly that it is important to have a black agenda. Uh, if we do not determine what that agenda is, it will be determined for us. Uh, it doesn't mean that we're monolithic. It doesn't mean that we all think alike, alike have the same ideas and backgrounds or even uh, solutions to the challenges that we are facing. But it does mean 
that we do need to uh, uh, convene with each other, uh, debate, uh, even have uh, heated debate about what that agenda is, what its aims should be, and how we should go about um, executing the solutions that we have proposed. And so um, it's something that I think is absolutely critical today when we consider the racial wealth gap, uh, the digital divide, the educational gap that seem uh, to be expanding more and more. Uh, and if we don't do that, you know, the uh, Bill Crawford, uh, who was a legendary leader here for several years, had a famous saying, uh, you're either at the table or you're on the menu. Uh, and uh, we have to ensure that we are at the table and we're not going to be at the table unless we have the solutions uh, for this uh, agenda and we uh, go beyond merely talking about it. I love that. So it's okay if we engage in healthy debate about this, um, this sticky subject. Oh, I, I think we, we have to. I mean, you know, we look at kind of the historical models of African-American leadership. You have kind of the one late, uh, great leader, and you know, Martin Luther King uh, w- would certainly be the person who comes to mind for most people. But we really don't realize, I mean, Dr. King had around him a, a lot of leaders uh, who uh, would push him and challenge him. And of course, he would uh, push back. But when you think about, you know, Andrew Young, uh, or a very, very young at the time, uh, Jesse Jackson, of course, his number two man, Ralph, Abernath- Ralph uh, Abernathy. Um, and of course, you know, he was the head of the SCLC, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. So he ultimately made the decisions uh, and sometimes decided to get out in front of his leaders. And the uh, best example of that is probably with the Vietnam War. Uh, people forget, but at the time that Dr. King began speaking out against the Vietnam War, it was very, very popular. We uh, kind of remember in the latter years when it was a very unpopular war, but he spoke out against it when it was a very popular war. And even his closest advisors uh, advised him not to do that. But leadership, uh, sometimes people say, well, if you are out front as a leader, no one is behind you, you're not a leader. I don't agree with that. Dr. King was out front on that issue and no one was behind him, uh, but he was very prescient. He was a visionary. He was a man who had uh, impeccable uh, moral instincts when it came to what was necessary for this country to do and not to do. Uh, and so I, I think that this this agenda uh, doesn't have to be something always that we have to agree on, uh, but ultimately we have to, I think, decide on a few core principles. We know that education is a challenge. Economic uh, uh, wealth gap is a challenge. Uh, the digital divide is a challenge, but sometimes we don't even understand the cultural uh, competency and the cultural currency uh, that we have uh, and even the economic power, nearly $2 trillion uh, annually. So if we could harness that, uh, we would really uh, come out uh, much better than we are projected to at this point. Because at this point in the next several decades, we're actually projected as a people in this country to have a negative um, uh, a negative economic worth uh, as, as a people. And that is extremely disturbing. Oh, and that sounds unacceptable. <laughs> Absolutely. Love it. So thanks for hosting today. Those were some great gems. Well, I am excited and happy and honored. And uh, anytime that I can be helpful, uh, you just call me. You are a wonderful partner. I will encourage our listeners to continue this conversation, especially as we think about what we can do to help with the Black agenda on our LinkedIn page. Thanks so much, Larry. Thank you.